everyone and welcome back to Building Voices, the CMS Ice Disputes podcast where people in the know discuss topical issues that impact the construction and infrastructure sectors. Today's topic of discussion centres around delay, something that no one working on a construction project wants to hear about. However, construction delays are amongst the most common disputes that arise on projects, so many of you listening to this podcast will be familiar with the numerous issues that arise when works are delayed. Helpfully, today I'm joined by David Wellman, a delay expert at Dialis. David is an experienced delay analyst with over 25 years of industry experience and a specialist in varied methods of planning and delay analysis. As I will discuss further with David, the process of establishing and providing delay is not a straightforward process, and there are many practical and contractual issues to consider, including the various notice provisions provided in a contract. However, helpfully, David is going to talk us through the five most common pitfalls that contractors make when it becomes evident that the works are going to be delayed. David, over to you. As a starting point, please can you briefly explain a few of the key basics about a delay claim? Well, delay claims, as one would expect, relate to projects which have been delayed by one or more events. Um, I use the word one or more events, but as anyone who has worked in the construction industry will know, there are very few projects where only one delay event needs to be evaluated. So delay claims generally contain numerous delay events looking at critical or near critical paths which have to be analysed. So basically, when preparing a delay claim, you need to set the delay event in the context of what actually occurred on the project to describe to the other party or even to a third party the effect of the delay contractor or employer events when the delay event has started and finished, the planned works impacted by the delay event and how the delay event has caused critical delay to the key dates. Thanks, David. So it's basically not a particularly straightforward process to prove an evidence delay. So turning now to your five key mistakes that are made by contractors. The first point is a failure to report the delay and prepare appropriate notices. The first point is a contractual point and obviously requires a good knowledge of the contracts and the notice provisions contained therein. Can you explain a little bit more about this and how this is relevant to delay claims? I think the first point about this is this is where sometimes contractors fail to educate the planning team because quite often the planners are on the project and they're very construction biased but don't have too much of a commercial eye on the project. So <clears throat> they don't necessarily understand what might be a condition precedent, early warnings that need to be raised and any notices that need to be raised when a project comes into delay. So this is a, um, very important to ensure that you get your early warnings in place and your notices out as soon as possible because they have a, generally can have a twofold effect. Firstly, early warnings and notices are required generally by a contract to allow the contractor to advise the client that there's going to be a delay. You want to do that as soon as possible because that allows all parties to the contract the opportunity to mitigate that delay. Secondly, you want to get your notices in because there might be a sneaky clause within the contract that says, 
unless you warn within a certain amount of time, you might lose um, the possibility to recover time and cost as a consequence of that delay because you failed to advise. So the key points there seem to be get your early warning notices in as soon as possible and make sure you comply um, very closely to the requirements of the contract. Otherwise, there's a risk that uh, you may lose out on, on you know, the, the compensation, the additional money or additional time. Exactly. Great. Thanks, David. So the next point is about failure to accurately record the effect of the delay. Accuracy in records is a topic that's relevant to all disputes. Evidence in support of the position is obviously very important. However, David, it'd be interesting to hear more from you about how this is relevant in the context of a delay claim. Well, as a forensic delay analyst, and the important word there's the forensic, it's it's looking at things that have actually happened. I often get involved with projects that are finished and have achieved practical completion. Further, I also get involved with projects where the project team is no longer available to describe the records, progress reports and the like that have been created during the progression of the works. So at this time, months and even years after practical completion, the parties often are still fighting over the causes and the effect of critical delay to the project. Because any forensic delay analyst is coming in so late to the party, as it were, I can't stress strongly enough the benefits of a well-ordered audit trail of documentation describing when a delay was first recognised right through to the point at which the event is no longer impacting the critical path. Because equally important is ensuring that the delay event and the critical path is set in the context of the entirety of the scope. And uh, this can be difficult when, you know, when you're on a project which is suffering significant levels of change as a project progresses. And all of the records which support any claim that you may have are important to this. As built start dates, as built finish dates, understanding the um, progress status of a particular activity in the periods where you update the programme. This is all evidence that will be required to support any claim that you may have. So ultimately, one of the issues that we have in the construction industry is the failure actually to record as built start and finish dates. You would think it's a simple thing to do at the time, but on a project team where the planners are really um, struggling to get through the amount of work they need to do on a um, intensive project, sometimes it's not always easy to remember that you need to be building up that war chest of evidence for uh, future battles to come. Thanks, David. And, and on that point about um, building up evidence and collating evidence, it's worthwhile um, speaking to your legal advisors as soon as it becomes apparent that delay is, is going to be impacting the project because, um, you know, the legal team will be in a good position to direct the relevant parties about what documentation they should be um, collating and how they should collate that documentation. And quite often the legal team provide a good kind of project manager role in that respect. Yeah, I, I would agree with that because quite often some of the best projects are the ones for a forensic delay analyst when they turn up and there's a topic file for each of the individual delay events which has been collated. Yes. And it, it really helps, especially, as I say, when you come into the party a year after everybody else has gone home. Yeah, definitely. And and as we all know, um, collation of documents um, contemporaneously is so important because, as you've just described, trying to kind of uh, group together documentation in support of a claim 
for events that happened maybe two or three years in the past is is notoriously uh, time-consuming and, and complicated. So the next topic is failure to understand the root cause of the delay. So causation is a topic that has received a lot of court attention in recent years. And we know that there are lots of differing opinions on key topics such as concurrent delay. As we're all aware, concurrent delay considers the contractual consequence of the delay depending on the underlying cause. So David, please, can you expand further on this issue? Yeah, as, as I mentioned before, most construction projects suffer numerous delays that aren't not that aren't necessarily delays but are sometimes just because the planned intent was a little bit too optimistic so obviously causation is all about uh, drawing out what's actually caused a delay and what isn't causing a delay and is just happening at the same time i mean if we're in the if we're in english jurisdiction as it were you know, when we talk about concurrent delay, we're talking about two or more effective causes of delay, which are, are of approximate equal potency. Well, on a project, you quite often get lots of activities that are running parallel with one another. And it's important that at the time the delay is incurred, that we are analysing the critical path of the project to determine which activities are actually critically delaying all of your key dates, as opposed to those activities which are being prolonged as a consequence of whatever reason, but not actually having any effect on the key dates. Because many, pro many activities within the programme will have float and for the planners and the non-planners out there, float in planning terms is the amount of um, time and activity can be delayed without actually impacting the critical path in general terms. I won't go into free float and total float, but in general terms, that's the key thing. So the important thing is understanding the records or preparing and pulling together the records to make sure that you have a full understanding of the delay events which are actually impacting the key dates. Great, thanks David. So it seems as if what you're saying is that, you know, as soon as the delay is apparent uh, and an analysis about how that's going to impact the kind of the completion date and the ongoing programme needs to take place. So the analysis needs to start right at the beginning as opposed to wait until the delay is kind of borne out and then the analysis is retrospective. I guess that goes back to our early discussion about knowing your contract and as you said how um, so knowing the contract isn't just about notice provisions it's also about uh, delay and how it's analysed in, in the context of the relevant contract that you're you're operating from. You need to be preparing and providing information if you're the contractor to the employer's agent or whoever or the project manager so they can make a determination of the impact of delay in a time consistent with the requirements of the contract. Thank you. So the fourth common mistake that you wanted to discuss with us is about a sort of suppression or mitigation measure um, and it's where contractors start to change the programme to suppress the effect of the delay of the programme. So you know understandably uh, when panic sets in a bit and delay becomes apparent. I understand that from our from our earlier discussions that some contractors will try and sort of rejig the programme to kind of mask the effect of the delay. But this, you know, the long term consequences are are actually really not beneficial. So can you just um, describe this 
position in a bit more detail and and maybe give some tips to contractors on how they can um, avoid this position? Yeah, there's a lot of people on on contracts, unfortunately, who are in a position where they have a, a senior person above them saying, how's the project doing? Are we doing well? Are we on time? And the pressure is always to say to those people, yes, it is. And on numerous times I've been involved with projects after the project has been complete and I've been instructed to look at delay. And the first thing I do is go to the progress reports because that was what the parties were saying at the time. And you can quite often read through the progress reports and get an understanding that, oh, the project's going quite well, it's going quite well, and it's going quite well. And then right before, you know, sort of in the later stages of the project, all of a sudden a significant amount of delays incurred. But when you actually go to the project programs and you start analysing them, you get the understanding that delay has been incurred far earlier in the project than actually has been reported. But that's been masked by the project program being adjusted time and time again to um, minimise the effect of any delays. Well, this might seem like a good idea because it gets you away from a, a shouting match with the boss. But unfortunately, it has a, a twofold problem that firstly, it stops you from or prevents you from putting in your early warnings and notices in time because you don't realize that you're getting delay or you're suppressing the effect of delay and the commercial people within the project are potentially looking at the same program and saying, oh, well, I'm on time. So you don't get your notices in on time. But also it skews when the delay actually occurred. So what happens was, and has happened with the project that I went on, that I was instructed to work on, I was then required to go back to the programs and then recast the programs based on the actual um, progress and the actual logic that was in the programs to say, well, if it had been reported correctly, delay would have been raised here, it would have been um, noted here, it would have been noted here, etc., far earlier than it actually was within the progress report. But ultimately, and this is a very important point, um, third party decision makers, such as uh, adjudicators, arbitrators and judges, do like contemporaneous records. So if you're telling um, a judge throughout the pro uh, project reports that the project has been going well, it's going to be difficult for them to understand or more difficult for understand because they are very intelligent people that uh, that it was simply because the project program was being um was being used to minimize the effect of those delays great thanks david um and thanks for your your time today to consider the common mistakes made by contractors and um, we covered a lot of ground and hopefully a lot of that will be um, helpful to those of you who are dealing with delay projects. Not a problem. Enjoyed it.